It's 107, Jeff Wagner. 107. 1207, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, so Melissa, I was supposed to see you on Friday. We I were know. doing our Kids to Kids Kiss Christmas remote out in, in Delafield. Um, I, I left a little after three. You hadn't quite made it there. I had not. And by the time I got into all that traffic, there was no way to get out. And it, of course, there was a horrific fatal accident that was in front of us. And I, I was so I forty three westbound closed. It was closed down for was, hours. So. Absolutely closed down. And we took the SS exit off right. uh, County County Road County Road SS and uh, tried to get around it. And uh, I kept looking off to the side, and I, I saw the vehicle. It was you know it was right. just a, a horrible accident. But you know for everybody that was trying to get through that traffic. I didn't get to the show till three thirty. So, right. and, and for people who do what we do for a living, there is no worse feeling that that is oh, like, that, that that is a radio person's nightmare. I mean, it is like everybody has recurring nightmares, and, and one of the recurring nightmares in this industry is that you're you're late for the show because you know three o'clock rolls around, and you know if you're not there. You know. or, or you open the mic and nothing comes out. I have those dreams. I'm like, ah, but like, of course, you know, I don't have that problem, Jeff. <laughs> and you don't either. But I kept hearing you say, well, looks like I may have to be here for a little while longer in my car. I'm sweating. I'm like, oh, uh, right. But, no, yeah. but it, we're, well, it, actually, I mean, leaving because I mean, the, the freeway was closed going westbound, but eastbound, it mm-hmm. was down to a crawl because so I mean, I ended up going. The, the back way, it added about 20 minutes to get out. But yeah. I, instead, of, I just wasn't going to get the freeway because of people were looking or, or whatever. All right. Well, on that note, mm-hmm. I, I'm always delighted to see you. But a lot of times at noon, it's Eric Bilstead. I have a bone to pick oh, with our Eric Bilstead. No. Oh, no. Not delighted? It, it, it's a, well, no, no. It, it's, it's, it's a freeway road in, road raid in, incident that I was, thanks to Bilstead, I was almost a part of. The um, As I'm leaving my house this morning and I get on the freeway southbound, I hear Eric, Eric say, well, there's there, there's a, there's a little bit of construction on an I-43 north of the, the county line, but it, it's you know you, you might have to tap the brakes or something. So you know no no. So I hear that no no problem. So instead of taking an alternate route, I, I get on the freeway, and it's one of those that is immediately as I take the right to get on the freeway. It's. I mean, things, things right are away. stopped. Oh. It, 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 I mean, it, no people aren't tapping the brakes. People are at a dead stop. Okay, so, I, but now I, I'm, I'm kind of grumbling about this, and so, but now I'm committed. So there, there's nothing you can do. So it's one of those deals where it's two lanes. I-43 southbound is two lanes. You know, north of Milwaukee mm-hmm. County, and the whoever had had one lane closed because. They were supposedly doing some road work. I, I couldn't tell what they were doing. Didn't look like there was a lot of guys working too hard. But you said that was matter. in Racine County, right? No, no, no. Oh. Uh, Ozaki County. Oh, Ozaki County. Okay. Right. So, okay. So, but all right. But now you're committed. You're, you're on this. So it is one of my pet peeves is that where you, you see the sign that says right lane closed. So, you know, what most people do is they, you look for the opportunity to get over to the left lane as soon as you can, right? You know, and if everybody would do that, it would be fine. Well, most people did that. And actually, I was very impressed because about uh, about a half mile out, everybody is now over in the left lane and it's starting to move. And then I see it's that one right. fill in the blank. <laughs> the one person, I have their license plate, as a matter of fact. I was sitting there saying, should I read that license plate out on there? The, the one person that decides that they're going to drive past 
the 50, 60, 70 cars that have all gotten over to try to squeeze into the front. And as I am watching this, and it was kind of the the truck behind me, um, the the truck driver, he's making an obscene gesture at the car as they're driving by. The guy in front of me is making an obscene gesture at the car. I mean, it it is this moment of road rage. It's it's one of those reasons why I'm thinking – Boy, you're, you know, you're lucky this is Ozaki County, not, you know, Milwaukee County, because in Milwaukee County, somebody would have a firearm probably and they would probably take it out in a different <laughs> way. But it was it was kind of like a road rage thing going on. So did you did you see people going bumper to bumper not to let that guy in? Well, um, the, the way it worked, I, I couldn't tell because. He did this. I was about six cars before where you lose the lane, so I, I couldn't see what happened. But I wasn't going to let the guy in. It, it was only this one car yeah. that decides that they think that they're going to, you know, rush up there. So it's it's again. I was thinking, look, again, lucky it's not Milwaukee County yeah. because it might be a different reaction. Well, it was a miracle everyone got over, and there was only one guy. There was only one that. guy. No, no, no. So I I get credit, but um, you know, Bill Stat was saying, well, you might have to tap on the brakes. Well, yes, I I tapped on the brakes, stood on the brakes, slammed on the brakes, but it all worked out. And we're glad that you got to the show on yes, Friday afternoon. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So you have all these things. I, I mean, I just think those are ones where you should just, when you see that person doing that, you should have that button that just, you know, push it and then like the trap door goes Like up. an eject yeah. button right. for them? <laughs> I, I also think golf court carts should have horns, you know. <laughs> just, but that's, so I haven't been able to sell anybody on that as well. People in front of you are playing slowly. You just kind of hit the horn. Just thinking about that. All right. I, I, I don't I don't want to bury the lead here. The as I have said before, I'm the guy that has passed up on more passed up more opportunities to make a fortune than most people have in their lifetime because I just don't have that vision to say, oh, that this is great. And it's a true story. Back in the mid '80s, I had somebody come to me and say, hey, I'm looking for some investors. I want to put a coffee cart in to the, this office building in downtown Milwaukee. I was working for the U.S. Attorney's Office at the time. And I said, well, what, what are they going to sell on the coffee cart? And they said, oh, they're, they're going to sell, like, like high-end cups of coffee, you know, or the, the lattes. And, you know, you mix it with cream to mint and all this stuff. And, you know, the, the profit margins are huge because you've got just a few pennies worth of coffee, and, and you're going to charge 3 and $4 for these, these cups of coffee. And I remember saying to this person, 3 or $4 for a cup of coffee? Who in their right mind would pay that? And... Of course, I, I didn't see the Starbucks thing coming, so I passed up on that opportunity. All right, here here is another opportunity that actually, for investors who thought they were getting in at the beginning, maybe it's not quite panning out like they wanted to. If you will recall, last summer, you, you had the thing with the scooters, the electric scooters, the bird scooters, and they, they, they go out, and the company goes out to all these different communities, and what they do is they, they dump a bunch of these electric scooters you know, onto the sidewalks and the streets, and what happens is you download an app, and then you put in your credit card information, and then you just you just grab the scooter and and you ride the scooter around, and then you just drop it wherever you know you're done with it, and then somebody else you know uses the app to find out where it is. And the city of Milwaukee, there's a big issue about the city of Milwaukee saying they're not licensed, etc. Ultimately, they they pulled back, but this has been the business model for the, this company. When they came out with this business model, initially, people thought it was a license to print money. These electric scooters cost, on average, about 500 bucks. And in some of the test markets that they were doing it, what they found is the scooters were make each scooter was generating like $25 in revenue a day. All right. So, I mean, if you do the math, you know, you're you've paid for the scooter. 
You know, I mean, you know, four times five, 20 days you've paid for the scooter if you're making $25 a day on each scooter. And after that, it's pure profit. Now, again, you, you've got to hire people to go and, you know, recharge them and things like that. But but you've paid your big investment is going to be buying the scooters. And so that's why th- this was viewed as being like a license to print money because, hey, if these things cost $500 and you can really generate $25 per scooter, well, it, it's going to be great. Interesting story in the Wall Street Journal today. Um these early projections aren't really panning out because what they're finding is that these scooters really aren't designed for heavy urban use. And what they're seeing is that they are breaking down often. So they're not able to keep these things operating like they thought. And then in the category of surprise follows surprise, what they're also finding is that the instances of theft and a vandalism of the scooters is a lot greater than what they thought it was. So instead of, hey, we'll have these things paid for, you know, in 20 days, and after that it's nothing but but profit, what they're finding in the real world is between the regular breakdowns due to the heavy use and theft and vandalism and everything, this thing, this business model really isn't as lucrative as they thought. So if you were thinking of getting into the scooter business my advice would be, well, maybe unlike unlike investing in that coffee cart, that opportunity that I missed decades ago, you might want to think real carefully about whether or not you want to jump into the electric scooter market. Just saying, when we come back, it was the talk. It was the talk of the bar yesterday for the Packers game. Stick around. Twelve seventeen, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Twelve nineteen, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. I, I enjoy watching the Packers. If I'm not going to go to Lambeau Field, I, I enjoy, I, I like watching the Packers games in, in my living room. I enjoy watching it with friends. But there is something about being out in public and watching the Packers game collectively. And I have my, my two of my golfing buddies from uh, during the summer that they hang out at this bar in, in, in Cedarburg. It's a very, very nice little bar. $2 beers during the Packers game. They put out food at lunch at, at, at halftime. So I, I, I had a lot of things on the agenda yesterday, but I thought I, I, w- I haven't seen these guys for a while. I want to go up. I want to see the first half. So I'm running a bunch of errands. I'm a little bit late to the game. I missed the kickoff, so I'm listening to Wayne and Larry before I get to the bar. And I, I hear that, that Packers' first drive, you know, where there's two plays out of like the first three or four where um, Joe Philbin throws the the challenge flag you know two plays where apparently it's very very questionable about whether the catch was made or or not and one of the things that i i hear i know wayne and larry are very very skeptical about the you know these catches that are being made but i'm I'm in the car i'm listening to the game on on wtmj so i don't have the benefit of of instant replay so i i get to the bar right after the Packer, after the Falcons had scored the first touchdown. And my first question to my buddies and then to everybody in the bar is, I, I didn't see these things. Were, were the replay calls bad? To which, all right, that, that, I mean, that's just like opening up this can of worms. Everybody's, oh, we don't know what they're looking at. It wasn't even close, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I, I didn't have an opportunity to see it. And I understand that, you know, I'm watching the game as I am with a whole bunch of Packers fans. But I will tell you that this was the conversation. It's like, what's going on with the NFL? These clearly aren't catches. How, how can you do this? So I put it in the back of my mind. I want to go see this. So I end up getting home, and I'm watching 
the second game, which was Philadelphia-Dallas. There is a kickoff. Dallas, um, who is favored, the kick returner brings the ball back. He clearly fumbles the ball. Clearly fumbles the ball. And then there's a whole pileup. And you don't exactly see who has it, but by the time they unpile it, there's there's nothing but Philadelphia Eagles on on the ground. They have, they've got the ball. <laughs> they they've got the ball at the bottom. There's no Dallas Cowboys around, and the referees give possession to Dallas. Well, because they first of all they thought the guy was down. They were wrong, and then they didn't realize apparently that Philadelphia had recovered the ball. Nobody exactly saw it, but all you see is nothing but eagles on the on down there. So they Philadelphia throws this challenge flag, and you, everybody's watching it, thinking, "Well, of course it's going to be Philadelphia's ball." It, you see this clearly on the replay. It was a fumble. There's nothing but eagles down there. I mean, they. Clearly, they recover the fumble. It appears that both teams seem to think that. Referees come out and say, Dallas ball. So I watch that. Then I go on the Internet. I made a point of going back and watching those two challenge plays in the beginning. And I guess maybe the second one, maybe the second one, and these both involved the referees saying that they were completed catches to Julio Jones. The second one, it sure looked like the guy was out of bounds to me. But maybe, maybe, maybe if you wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt, you could say maybe he tapped his foot. I don't think so, but maybe. The first play is a pass where Julio Jones, who is like their all-star receiver, he, he doesn't have the ball. You know, he's fumbling the ball. He's trying to catch it as he goes onto the ground. And then I don't know that he ever secures it. The ball comes loose. It, it's not a catch. It is apparent to everybody watching it's not a catch. And yet the officials come out and say, nope, we're going to consider it to be a completed pass. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The quality of officiating in the NFL, I I don't know if it's multiple seasons, but certainly this season, to me is, is abysmal. But the bigger point is, if you are, if the purpose of instant replay is is to get it right. And, and that's something I, I've defended instant replay. I've defended replay in baseball and in soccer and in going to the tape and looking at the game in basketball, the replays, because you want to try to get it right. It is stunning to me, though, how often, particularly in football, they have video replay and they still end up getting it wrong. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I just a couple of those plays yesterday were just breathtaking in their inaccuracy. And it's not just maybe you want to give the officials, the game officials, a, a little bit of you want to cut them some slack because the players are so fast and the game moves so quickly. And maybe you can understand how somebody can't get quite in between to see whether the guy really still has the ball when he hits the ground. But after watching those replays, I, I mean, it, it's it's clear to me that there are. The, the results on the field are wrong, and yet they fail to overturn them. Are you frustrated? Is, is instant replay working like you thought it should? 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1225, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Here's a text. text. Jeff, you're assuming that the replay officials are looking at every angle. Um, they may not be. You're also assuming they look at it in slow motion. They may not be. All right, well, okay, then Then my question is why not? If everybody at home is looking at it from multiple angles, or I think they do, but are looking at it in slow motion, why bother having it 
if you're not going to get it right. And I guess it's just it's staggering to me how how badly replay works. And I don't know if it's incompetence of the replay officials or what, but the whole idea was we're going to have replay. Let's get it right. Well, they sure didn't get it right in multiple instances yesterday. And those are just a couple of the games that I watched. Dan in West Bend. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Dan. Yeah, great point as far as, um, you know, them seeing every angle because they certainly should be. But is what it's done is that the, the lack of credibility with this inconsistency, it takes a guy like me that's watched it for 40 years and, uh, three day, you know, three games a week or so down to, you know, kind of suffering through the Packers just because of the, you know, the, the inconsistency on calls. And, and I think that it, it actually has had that effect with 90% of the of viewers where, you know, they're, they're not watching as much just because of that. Right. And, and, and just, and just the frustration. I mean, again, I, I understand sometimes it's close and you want to go with the call on the field if they're right. And again, I, this, I'm not even trying to be a homer when it comes to the Packers. You just, you just watch this and over and over again, they're just getting the calls wrong. Um, let's talk to Doug in Delafield. Doug, you're on WTMJ. Yes, uh, I have watched and recall almost 50, 50 years of football, and it's atrocious. Uh, that referee on the second one was looking right at the foot right. of Julio Jones, and it was in the white. But let's go back to the game two of this season. Jari Alexander returned that for a touchdown, which would have been a victory, and we got called for roughing. Right. Right. And Alex Smith said on the next week, he said directly to Clay Matthews, that was not a penalty. Yep. I mean, those are just blatant. And then the uh, Dean Blandino, which was a failure at the NFL office, and being head of referees is now on Fox, and you know, and, and he says, "Well, they want to go along with the refs on the field." Well, then why have replay? Well, well right. No, I mean, yeah. thanks for calling. I say, I, I, I mean, I'm with you about that. Look, and I, I understand the arguments about slowing the game down and stuff like that. But it's if you're not going to make the, these obvious calls, then you're right. Why bother doing it? Let's just go back to it. It's it shouldn't be that hard. It it really shouldn't. And I mean, yesterday was an example uh, again where one after another after another. And if you know, I mean, okay, the first Julio Jones catch or not catch it. I kind of thought it's like Michael Jordan rules, where there's maybe a different rule that you apply to like a great player like Julio Jones than like ordinary people. But I mean that, that Philadelphia Eagle thing, the guy. Fumbles. There's nothing but eagles on top of the ball. Both teams, they think they recognize, they know what happened. They think it's a fumble, and the referees, no, no, we're not going to do anything. I mean, the, the NFL, it, it's almost, it's almost like it's the WWE nowadays, where the results are kind of predetermined. Just saying. Twelve thirty-five. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Before I forget, let me also comment on the, the, the other big sporting event of the weekend. Um, I was. At Pfizer Forum Saturday afternoon, Marquette, my Marquette Warriors or Golden Eagles or versus the Wisconsin Badgers. 
I, I love college basketball. Look, take nothing away from pro basketball. I mean, the, the I think you can make a strong argument that the professional basketball players are, are perhaps the best athletes in, in the world. But th- there's something I like about college basketball. It's, it's the intense rivalries. It's just the atmosphere that goes along with games. And the Wisconsin-Marquette games are always just a blast. The Pfizer Forum was full. Uh, overwhelmingly Marquette fans, as you might expect, but pockets of of Badgers fans as well. It was an absolutely great game. I don't think either team had more than a seven-point lead at at any point in time in the game. Both teams had opportunities to win. The game ended up going into overtime, and Marquette ultimately pulls it out, although not without missing six free throws in a row in overtime. Six free throws. I think I could make one out of six. I I think I could make one out of six, but I wasn't on the court. They missed six free throws in a row, making the game closer than it should. But it was just just a great time. And one of my takeaways for Wisconsin Badgers basketball fans, this senior player, Ethan Happ, that guy's a load. I mean, he's one of the best... He's one of the best players that I've seen in a long, long time. I mean, I think he scored 30-some points. You could tell he kind of got tired at the end, but he was he scored close to half of Wisconsin's points. I'm, I'm one of these guys in the stands that's going, take three Marquette players, put them around him, make somebody else beat you. But he, he really was a one-man show, so I, I gained a lot of respect for him. It was just it was a great game. It was very, very hard played, and I think everybody that went there just had a really, really good time. So that was a huge sporting event as well. All right, Friday afternoon, after I got off the air, there were filings in connection with sentencing hearings. What what happens is in federal court, and state court to a lesser extent, but in federal court, what will happen is prosecutors, in advance of a defendant being sentenced, will file sentencing memorandums with the court, and they'll they'll set forth the underlying facts behind the, the conviction, and they'll, they'll set for at least what the prosecutors believe are the underlying facts. The defendant can always object to them, and they'll they'll argue, you know, how sentencing guidelines should be applied. So th- this is a relatively routine thing. They filed sentencing 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 memorandums in the cases of Paul Manafort and Michael Cohen. Paul Manafort was the guy who was the Trump campaign chairman for a while. He is in my opinion just a garden variety tax cheat. I I do not he he's he's refused to quote unquote, you know, provide information uh, against President Trump. But but that that aside, I mean the guy he, he he you know he was a co- a consultant who did work for um the Ukraine government back at a certain point in time got all this money and then you know didn't didn't disclose honestly what his connections were didn't file appropriately and didn't pay taxes on a lot of the money he got and then after that dried up he took out bank loans by filing false statements the guy's just a routine tax cheat why in the world President Trump decides that he wants to view him as some sort of hero is absolutely beyond me. Manafort, you know, deserves to go to jail. The more interesting case to me is the case of, of Michael Cohen, who's the kind of sleazy lawyer that Donald Trump, when he before he was president, surrounded himself with. And and Cohen was this guy who wanted to be in the, the Trump sphere very, very badly. And, you know, uh, Trump used him for... Things that uh, maybe a more ethical lawyer would have said, no, I'm, I'm not going to get involved with. And he's getting sentenced, and so there was a sentencing memorandum in connection with him. This is where it gets interesting, and I, I want to take a minute and just walk you through it, and then we're going to open up the phone lines on a question with this, because 
it, it, the, it seems to me more and more likely that this the Russian aspect of the investigation, was there some sort of criminal conspiracy and collusion? I don't think that's going anywhere. I, I just I just don't. But, you know, the special prosecutor casts a, a wide net. And one of the things they start seem to be focusing on now is the, the payments that were made to former pornographic film star Stephanie Clifford, also known as Stormy Daniels, to keep her story from becoming public. Here... Here's what happened for people who might not have been following this at home. 2007, Donald Trump, recently married to Melania. He's he's sort of the B-list or C-list celebrity at a celebrity golf tournament. He, at least according to Stephanie Clifford, Stormy Daniels, they have a one-night stand, all right, at the evening of the golf tournament. And so this is, like I say, this is 2006, 2007. They, they have a one-night stand. At the time, Donald Trump was the star of The Apprentice and the Celebrity Apprentice or whatever, and supposedly he makes some representations to her about maybe I can get you a gig on this thing or whatever. That, that never goes anywhere. All right, 10 years later, He's emerging as a potential candidate for president of the United States. And Stormy Daniels decides, hey, I I had this one night stand with him. Now, Trump denies it, but let's assume for the sake of argument that the, the two of them did, in fact, have the one night stand. So she wants to tell her story. Well, what ends up happening is the National Enquirer, which is run at the time by a friend of Donald Trump's, they buy the story. They buy the story, the rights to her story, and they don't run the story. They call it catch and kill. The, the newspaper buys the rights to the story, but then they choose for whatever reason not to, not to run it. All right, so the question then becomes, where did the money come from to buy the story? And it now appears more and more likely. I mean, it, what it emerged was that this Trump lawyer, this, this fixer, Michael Cohen, he paid the National Enquirer. The National Enquirer then paid her. So it was Cohen's money. Well, as I said when this first happened, that makes no sense at all. I mean, lawyers lawyers for clients don't reach into their own pocket and buy things for their clients. You know, I mean, that's that, that's just not how how it is played. You know, if I'm a lawyer representing you and you want me to go out and acquire property or buy a story or whatever, okay, you're, you're going to pay me to do that. It's your money. You give me the money to do that and you also, you know, give me whatever my fees are. So that story never made any sense that, that Cohn was doing it himself. It now appears more and more apparent that what happened was just like everybody thinks for one way or another, you know, Donald Trump, before he was president, orchestrates money that goes to Cohen. Cohen gives the money to the National Enquirer. They buy the story, which is the logical thing that you would think would happen. Right? That's not in and of itself illegal. That, that happens all the time. What might make it illegal, and I stress might make it illegal, is because you have various campaign finance laws. And what those laws say is that First of all, if you are going to do something on behalf of a political campaign, you know, that has to be reported. So if Michael Cohen wanted to spend his own money, you know, buying this story to try to keep her quiet, he could do it. But if the purpose of him doing it was to keep her quiet and in order to 
make it more likely that Trump could be elected president, well, that could arguably be a campaign donation. Just like if I want to have host a dinner party for as a fundraiser for people, all right, the cost of that dinner party, that is a donation to the campaign. And it has to be disclosed. So there, there was never any sort of campaign disclosure. So that's what prosecutors are looking at. They're saying, all right, this money, if it was done for political purposes, you know, regardless of where it came from, whether it came from Donald Trump or whether it came from Michael Cohn or any combination thereof, it should have been reported if it was for political purposes. And if the purpose of paying this woman to, to be quiet, to paying this mon- woman through the National Enquirer was to keep the story out, and the purpose of that was to avoid embarrassing him when he ran for president, well, it, it, it's a campaign contribution and it should be reported. The problem with that is that a lot of times things have have multiple reasons, all right? So let's say you're Donald Trump, you're running for president, and you've got this woman who wants to go public and sell her story. Well, I mean, there's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of reasons why you could not want that story to become public. Maybe it's because, gee, your wife isn't going to like it if if that becomes public. Maybe it's, gee, your kids aren't going to like it if that story becomes public. Maybe it's because, gee, maybe the general electorate electorate won't like it if it becomes public. There's all sorts of different reasons, and maybe part of it's campaign-related, but a lot of it probably isn't campaign-related. All right, when we come back, we're going to open up the phone lines, and we're going to talk about where we go from here with this story. Stick around. First, though, it's 1245 WTMJ Time Saver Traffic Alert. There it goes. 94 northbound is a parking lot right now going through Racine County past Caledonia. There's an accident near Seven Mile Road, and it's blocking a lane. And because of that significant slowdown heading northbound, so we're seeing delays seven miles all the way down to Highway 20 and beyond. So be prepared for that as they work this situation. I will get you an update coming up at 1 o'clock. It is 1246. We were talking about it last week. It seems like... This is this window on almost a day, and I'm always delighted to see you, Eric. I I am. I'm just always (laughs) thrilled when you walk into the studio. But it seems like three or four times a week, right around sometime between right now and 2 o'clock, you're walking in, and it's something is a parking Mm -hmm. lot somewhere. And and always right there in this area, too, this area in Racine County where they've been going down to two lanes, where they have a quote-unquote zipper merge, if you will, in both directions, or at least it was both directions last week. This seems to be a spot that is... They're running into issues like this quite a bit. And, and this time, it seems like this time of yeah, day, right in the, uh, middle, of the, day. Right in yeah. the middle of the day. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll continue to keep you updated. It's 1247. 1249, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Hey, some good news quickly. The, the stock market down, the Dow was down like 400 points earlier today. It, it's it's coming back. It, it's now down 75. The NASDAQ was down like 100 points. Now it's up 22. I think that might have something to do with Brexit and what's going on in, in Great Britain. But it doesn't matter. Um, it, things are turning around a little bit from the way it started. All right, our number, 414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I, I want to take a minute and really kind of give you the, the legal perspective on, on where we are. The, the argument that some people are trying to make is that the, the, the payments that President Trump ultimately made to try to keep the Stormy Daniels story from going public that's a violation of campaign finance laws because it wasn't reported as a campaign contribution. Um, for that to be criminal, 
you would probably have you would definitely have to establish that the 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 sole or at least overriding purpose of that was to uh, again try to make sure that that story didn't come out there by influencing the 2016 election the problem of course is there, there's all sorts of reasons why you wouldn't want that particular if i'm donald trump there's all sorts of reasons why i don't want that that story be, becoming public before the election, including the fact that my wife's not going to be too happy if this all comes out. So there's these multiple reasons. Anyhow, over the weekend on the Talking Head shows, a number of Democrats jumped on this and said, well, th- this is this is a basis for this is impeachment. We're This is an impeachable offense. We're going to be looking at that. And at the very least, we anticipate there's going to be a criminal indictment. President Trump, for his part, says, look, today, th- these payments um, we're talking about a simple private transaction, nothing to see here. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. All right, does this strike you as the stuff that impeachment should be made of? And, and I ask that, I mean, I, I ask that seriously. When you, when, when you think about impeachment, you think about high crimes and, and misdemeanors. Do you think, does it need to be, clear cut i mean in the watergate case of course you you know had richard nixon who was knowingly involved in the cover-up of of a criminal break-in i mean do we want to spend the next two years leading up to the 2020 election trying to determine whether or not this particular thing would be an impeachable offense or not our numbers 414-799-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line let me get this started. I, I just, I don't think this is where the American people are. And, and maybe you disagree with me. First of all, I have serious questions about whether or not this is criminal behavior and whether it, in fact, is a criminal violation of the campaign finance laws. I know the Trump fixer lawyer, Michael Cohen, didn't fight that. I mean, he, that's what he ended up pleading guilty to. But just because he pled guilty to it doesn't mean that, I mean, somebody else... If you took a different approach, you might argue that this is not a crime. And matter of fact, a lot of legal experts don't think it is a crime. Is this unseemly? Yes, it, it definitely is. Is it, as I have argued, is it just strange? I, I mean, that, that you'd be obsessed with this because from a political perspective, as I have argued, I don't think one person who ended up voting for Donald Trump in 2016 would have changed their vote if it came out that back in 2007 he had a one-night stand with some pornographic film actress. So so to me, I, I think the whole thing is kind of a, a who cares unless you're married to President Trump. Is this an impeachable offense? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My, my sense is the country, regardless of whether you love Donald Trump or hate Donald Trump, that this is not how we want to be spending the next two years obsessed on something like this. I understand the Russia collusion thing. I, I get it. You know, and clearly Russia was trying to play in our elections. If if one of the principal major party candidates was involved in a conspiracy with Russia, I, I understand how you know that could potentially lead to an impeachable offense. But is this the type of thing that you know we want to see impeachment for? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's start with Jeff in Milwaukee. Jeff, you're first. Good afternoon. How you doing? Real well, um, thank you. No, I, I don't believe this. This is a, an offense. You know, um, my problem is, is you know, we've been going after President Trump. For two years, um, they haven't really found anything. Um, 
everything's assumption now. The media, the news, social media, what happened to facts first? Then come out with it. You know, that's my problem. I'm so tired of politics. I don't know what's going to happen. This country is in a world of hurt. Well, it is. I mean, no, it is. Th- thanks for the call. I mean, it, it is. And I guess, I mean, this is now that the Democrats control the House of Representatives and and have subpoena power and have investigative power. I, I think there's going to be a, a real it's, it's going to be interesting to see where we go over the next two years. Are we going to spend this trying to. I don't know, punish Donald Trump for winning the 2000 election and going after things that going after things that I, I don't think the general public cares about other than the fact that it is it embarrassing to President Trump. Well, well, absolutely. And don't get me wrong. I'm not endorsing this behavior. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm just I, I'm not. But at the same time, is is this where we are on impeachment? In contrast, say, with the Richard Nixon impeachment, where you had somebody who, a president who was actively involved in trying to cover up an overtly criminal activity, as opposed to somebody who may or may not have violated a campaign finance law. And what Trump is saying is, hey, even even if this were to be found to be that, it, it's nothing but a civil thing. And, again, I'm not even sure it's a violation of a campaign finance law. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Rob in Prospect Heights. Hi, Rob. Hey, good afternoon. What do you think? Um, my feeling is uh, you said there's Democrats on these shows that are uh, saying – this is an impeachable offense. Right. There's also Democrats who very clearly have said the same weekend, and you're not quoting them, who said whether or not it's an impeachable offense, we're not going to move it forward with impeachment because we don't have the votes in the Senate anyways. And and regardless of that, they also learned the lesson of the impeachment of Bill Clinton, where the popularity of the Republicans went down because they went after um, Clinton for too long over mm-hmm. something that the American people didn't really think was impeachable anyways. So you don't... So let's uh, so, look at it with some perspective. Let's listen to a broad range of Democrats, not just the two you heard on one show, because I've heard plenty of others who say, even if this was an impeachable offense, it's probably not advisable to go down that route. Well, and that's what we're talking about, Rob. That, that's, the, that's the point of the question. The question is, would it be advisable to go down this route? That's what we're discussing. Not that Democrats have committed that they're going to impeach him. That that's the issue. I mean, for example, I mean one of the things I'm looking at is one of the, you know, one of the key Democrats who's going to be chairing the House Judiciary Committee um, is a guy named uh, Gerald Nadler. He's a Democrat from New York, and and he's saying. Well, you know, a payoff scheme like this, I'm looking at the quote, this is the guy that's going to chair the Judiciary Committee. He's saying that uh, this scheme could amount to an impeachable offense, but whether the conduct is important enough to justify impeachment is a different question, which is actually where my question comes from, that that's what's being debated here. And I guess I look at this and say, really, this is not where we want to spend the next two years. I think it's a waste of time to try to do this. And ultimately, I think it's going to be, for a variety of reasons, unsuccessful. But this is where this special counsel investigation, I think, has gotten us. I think we would be wise to move on and to start to focus on the future. And I think Democrats would be wise to start to focus on the future as well. If you look into the past, I, I think... In some respects, you might even make Trump a sympathetic character, believe it or not. 1258, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
1019, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, I want to tell the story as a way of leading into what I want to talk to you about next. Um, there are, There is no question if, if, for example, a bank, your bank makes an error, and you know it's an error, and you try to benefit from it, well, sooner or later they're going to catch you. For example, if you go to the ATM machine and you want to draw out 100 bucks from your account, and the bank erroneously gives you $500, and you keep it, and chances are they're going to find out about it. They're going to come back to you, and they're going to say, hey, you know, that, that, that extra 400 bucks we gave you isn't yours. And you can say, well, you made, me, you made the mistake. You, you gave me the money. And they're going to say, it doesn't matter. We're taking it out of your account. They're not going to let you benefit, as a general rule, from their mistake. And that's true with the things that a lot that, that the government does a lot. I, I've told this story before. Bear with me. I used to. I don't do my own taxes anymore. Thank you. My accountant Laura takes care of that. But but for years and years, I I did my own taxes, and you know I, I mean and I'd sit down with TurboTax and things like that, and they really weren't that complicated. So this was a number of years ago. I remember it was a Friday because we were scheduled to go out to dinner, and I, I get this letter from the IRS. Never a good sort of thing. And I look at it, and it's a letter from the IRS together with a check for a substantial amount of money, like eight or $10,000 or something like that. And the letter says, we've reviewed your taxes, and we have found an error that you made, and you overpaid the money, and, and here it is. Now, so on the one hand, it's like, oh, oh, oh I've, I, you know, it, it's eight or ten grand. It's found money. On the other hand, now, I, I'm, look, I, I don't, I have a minor in accounting and stuff, and you could quickly get lost in the nuances of tax law. But on the other hand, this is a pretty big error. And I'm sitting there thinking, I refuse to believe that I made, uh, that I, that I ended up costing myself eight or ten grand or whatever this check is. I mean, it's, it's, it's a big check. And I'm sitting there refusing to believe this. So long story short, because I'm the obsessive person I am, I think we ended up canceling our dinner plans, because then I sit down with the tax returns and I'm going through these, trying to figure out where where the mistake that the IRS says I made or what's going on. Well, I, I after, you know, about 45 minutes, I, I found it, and it wasn't my mistake. It was, you know, the IRS had had treated my late wife's income as something when they should have treated it as something else. And bottom line is, I was right. They owed me money. All right, so I, I, I was right. They did not owe me this money. So now what do you do? Do you sit and cash that check and go, woohoo, they made a mistake, and, and maybe they won't catch it? Now, or do you just, you know, try to say, well, there, there's a there's a problem here. Now, for me, it was two reasons. First of all, I like to think that I was noble and that I knew that this wasn't right. And I knew where the mistake was. And I knew that the IRS had made the mistake. And it really it it, it wasn't my it wasn't my money. It was money I owed to the government. So part of me was noble. If I were to be honest, the other part is, you know, somebody's going to find this. This is it, it. Somebody at some point in time, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but somebody's going to look at this and they're going to find that they sent this eight or ten grand back, and they're going to want it back at some point in time, and they're going to want it back with interest and penalties. And I just, I just don't need this. So, I, I sit down that night, no dinner that evening. I sit down and I write this letter back, explaining, "Hey, I've got this letter." Here's your check back, um, and this is where I think the error is. I think it's online so-and-so, and I think the IRS has treated this as something, and that's it, it, not how I reported on the tax forms. This is where the mistake is, and I send it all back. And for my trouble, I get a letter about two weeks later saying, thank you, we've reviewed this, we are going to audit you. 
<laughs> they, they're auditing me. I'm going, all right, I sent back the eight or ten grand, and they're auditing me. And and then every two or three months, I would get a letter updating me on the status of the audit and saying, you know, we're we're reviewing this and that or the other thing. And and literally, it went on for six months. And ultimately, I get this letter, not thanking me for bringing this thing to their attention, but ultimately it said, no, we've concluded that the, you know, amount, your original thing was correct. We're taking the money, et cetera. Didn't say thank you for being honest and sending this back. But but I got audited. Six months. Six months they're looking at this stuff. So that, that was the thanks. But it, it, the bottom line, for whatever my reasons were, I did the right thing because, again, even though this was the IRS's mistake in sending me this money back, I figured they would catch it, and I know that they weren't just going to go away. So I knew I was going to have to pay that back, and I did not object. All right, which brings us to what I want to talk with you about now, something that is going on in Milwaukee County. For the last, my gosh, it's going on 20 years now. I mean, certainly 15 years or more. Milwaukee County, the pension system has been an absolute mess. This, of course, goes back to the the changes that the county board and the former county executive, the late Tom Ament and some of his cronies, you know, made to the the pension something that was supposed to be revenue neutral, but they created all these things, backdrops, etc. And as a result, you have long-term county employees, including some of the higher ones, who are able to retire, collect a million-plus dollar payout, and and also, you know, get 80 grand a month through their pension. It is absolutely obscene. And I don't, I don't fault the individual employees. If I was a county employee eligible to collect that, and I would say, hey, if the taxpayers uh, through their elected officials were stupid enough to do this, um, I, I'm, I'm going to take the money. So I've never faulted the individual employees. But the problem resulting from the pension scandal is there is a huge unfunded liability that is out there. 2018, for example, the um, the, the the county, Milwaukee County, um, they they have to contribute. Let's see. Last year, they contributed 72.6 million dollars to the the pension fund as a result of as a result of this. And of that, 53 million dollars is unfunded liability. So, be, because the pension system is in such a mess. They have to take present dollars, dollars that could be spent doing all sorts of other things in Milwaukee County, and put it into the pension fund because of, of all the as, as messed up as it was. Okay, well, here's what's been going on. In addition to the pension scandal, et cetera, et cetera, for years, Milwaukee County has been incorrectly or was incorrectly counting and determining the amount of pension, what they owed individual pensioners. And again, I'm not talking about, in most cases, the people at the high end that walked away with the million plus dollars. I'm talking about the average person that goes to retire. You put in your retirement papers that the county and their actuarial people and their people that run the pension system, they say, okay, this is what your salary was. This is how long you worked. This is what you're supposed to get. And they tell the people, and then the people end up retiring, and the county then pays them. Well, what happened is, with regard to about 230 people who retired from the county, the county miscalculated the amount of money these people were owed. And approximately 229 people received overpayments. I mean, they were paid what they were told they were deserved, 
But it, it was more money. They, they'd screwed up in calculating this. How you can screw up in calculating this, that's a whole other story. But, of course, we're talking about the Milwaukee County pension system. All right, so 229 people overpaid. The Journal Sentinel has a story about this. 41 have now been dropped because they've either died or it was just a small amount of money that they were overpaid. Another three They've dropped trying to collect money because they, they ended up suing. All right, so that leaves 185 people who were paid more money than they deserved. About half of them are for less than $500. 19 are for under 1000 39 others are less than 5000 And 44 have been paid more than $5,000, more than they wrote. All right? The pensioners take the position that, this isn't our problem. You know, we we relied on you, Milwaukee County, when we told you we were retiring and you calculated our benefits and you told us this is how much we are supposed to get. We relied on this and you gave us the money in good faith and in good faith we have spent it. Well, now the county is trying to decide, you know, what they should do. And it, it totally, it's about $1.5 million in, in overpayments, payments that were wrongfully made. And the county board has apparently now decided they are not, not going to let these people off the hook. They want to try to collect this money, and they're saying, look, I mean, here's the deal. If you pay it back right away, um, then we're not going to charge you interest on the money that we incorrectly paid you. But if you don't pay it back or sign up right away to do this, what we're going to do is we're going to demand interest as well. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand that if a bank, you know, you you go to that ATM and you want 100 and it gives you $500, the bank is going to come after you, and I have no problem with that. Is this different? In this particular case, the retirees were told how much they were entitled to as a part of their pension. They collected it in good faith. Should the county now be able to go back and try to collect the incorrect payments, the overpayments that they made? Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Give you a hint. My take on this is... I think it's the county's mistake, and I think the county has to eat it. I don't think it's right to go after these pensioners who, in good faith, relied on what they were told was going to be their pension payment. And in some cases, the pension payments were made for years. I don't think it's fair to go back and try to collect the overpayments. I think this is a mistake that the county pension board has to eat. 414-799-1620. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. It's 120. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 123, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Caroline in Milwaukee. Caroline, good afternoon. Hi. Um, my, my two cents um, is that having worked in retail for so long, if we have a posted price of something and it ends up being incorrect when it rings up, we honor the posted price. People will be too angry and not, you know, purchase make their purchase. So... Well, right, and it, and it's not their right. It's it's not their fault, right? I mean, you know, right. I can understand exactly if it's a deal like, okay, you're, you're saying you can buy this pair of shoes for you know forty two dollars, and that's your mistake. 
You yeah. sell it to the person for forty two, and you say, "Oh, I'm sorry. This this should really this should be sixty. Or you call them up afterwards, and you say, "Hey, you know those shoes you bought for forty two dollars? I'm sorry, it rang up wrong. They were really supposed to be sixty. Good luck trying to get that money back." Yeah, no kidding. You will not be in business for long. So, I mean, yeah, and and again, you don't now, have proper accountability and proper. Um, I don't know integrity. You kind of have to honor what you said, right? No, no. Thanks to call. Now, maybe it's a, maybe it's arguably a different sort of thing. If the if the shoes in our example are marked for sixty bucks, thanks for call, Caroline, and and they they ring up for forty two, and everybody knows it's a mistake. But in this particular case, nobody alleges that any of these county retirees did anything wrong. I mean, they. They they relied. Now maybe that's their mistake. They relied on the goofs at the Milwaukee County Pension System. They give their notice. Hey, I'm planning on retiring at this particular day. What what are my monthly payments going to be? This is how many years in service. I mean, I I don't know about you, but when you, I, I, I for example, I am at some point in time in my life going to be eligible for a couple different pensions. All right. So I I, I mean I, I get these yearly statements saying, hey, if you retire at this point in time, this is what the pension is going to be. I I'm not calculating that at all, and all I know is if. You know, somebody has been telling me that they sent, start sending me that money, and then five years later they say, "Hey, we overpaid you, Jeff. We want the money back." My response is going to be, "No. I mean, I I was relying on what you promised me." And and the the bigger point too is, and look, I I, I understand one point five five million is a lot of money. I, I get it, but given how screwed up the pension system has been, and given all the mistakes that the county board and the former county executive and that the pension board has, has made with regard to this to try to, I don't know, go after the county employees for this $1.55 million just doesn't seem right to me. Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Real well. Thank you, sir. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, there's no way in the world they should be, be able to go back and collect it. I mean, your analogy with the ATM is a little bit different, only right. from the standpoint of the ATM you're you're putting in a specific amount that you right want yeah to get. you know it's a mistake right right yeah exactly it's like you get more you're not doing the calculus on on the on the pension funds and, and things like that so it's kind of like you know what tighten up your hat I mean, well well right you're right you know like if it's a different sort of thing if if for example the pensioners had been told okay your monthly pension is going to be three hundred dollars if they'd gotten that note and then somehow there's a typographical error and they're getting five hundred dollars after they've been told three hundred then i i understand that maybe you have an argument but that's not what happened here they were told you're going to get five hundred dollars they relied on that when they retired they've been collecting it and, and in my example and now the pension boards come back and say hey we made a mistake years ago and so you know, we've well, overpaid the other you part too is, is the time frame I mean, it'd be different if the first check went out. It's like whoop, whoops, whoops, whoops. Right. Okay, that's one thing. But when you're making, when you're you're receiving payments for years, right? I mean, why would you expect it to all of a sudden just change and then have to go in arrears and, and collect right. and pay it all back? Right. And and then and and this is this is the ultimate Milwaukee County Board raising their middle finger at their employees. They're going to say, oh, by the way, if you don't pay this back, we're going after you for interest too. <laughs> we we have incorrectly paid you all this money, yeah, well, and now we like want the, the interest. IRS. Yeah. yeah, that sounds like the IRS. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. No, thanks for going. The IRS, you don't fool around with, like I say. But in the example I started off with was how I got audited. I knew they had made a mistake. All right? And if if I had decided that I want to take that dough 
and then just not go be upfront about it and see if they catch their mistake. Well, okay, bad on me. I mean, then then I don't think they would. Have, I I don't think anybody would have been sympathetic to me if they said, okay, no, look, you knew Jeff that this was wrong, or you should have known that it was wrong, and you kept that money. So no, you're subject to interest and penalties. But that's not what these in this particular case. That's not what these retirees have, have done. The Milwaukee County pension board it's been a disaster for years and years going back to the pension scandal it's got huge problems that is sucking the life out of milwaukee county so i understand there's all sorts of valid issues but to try to i don't know to try to squeeze 1.5 million out of retirees who in good faith relied on the amount of money they were promised to me is appalling. And to tell you how this is lions laying down with lambs, there's a Milwaukee County supervisor, John Weishan. I think in the last 20 years, I don't think Weishan and I have agreed on anything, anything. In this case, Weishan and I are on the same side. Now, that, that for a minute, when I saw that Weishan was the guy that was pushing and I haven't paid, I, I kind of actually thought maybe I need to rethink my position. But no, no, no. This is one where, in this case, broken clock is right, you know, twice a day. And, and Weishan is right. I'm right. The county board should not be trying to collect this money from the pensioners. 129, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 138, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. This is a story... That, that perhaps, well, it, there, there's so many different Wagner's rules of life that are wrapped up in this particular story that we'll, we'll just go through it and, and then see. Uh, Channel 6 reported this, Fox 6 Now. Greenfield, this is from a couple days ago. Shots rang out in a Greenfield neighborhood, and a police officer was injured while responding. Okay, The man who fired his weapon says a hooker he hired came back to steal from him. A struggle led to gunshots and several arrests. I actually thought they were just regular fireworks shots, said so-and-so. Uh, just before 9 a.m. on Thursday, uh, this person heard three to four pops. I later found out they were gunshots. Um, at work, person's mother received updates from neighbors online. I was very concerned about her well-being. At the corner home near 47th and Botchford, police say shots were part of a botched theft. The man who says he fired his gun, gave very candid answers when Fox 6 News asked what happened. All right, now, this is one of my rules. Just just because the TV reporter shows up and sticks the microphone in your face doesn't necessarily mean that you have to blow up answer this. But all right, the man who fired his gun gave very candid answers when Fox 6 News asked what happened. The man tells the TV station a prostitute he had hired days earlier returned to try to steal a cash drawer full of money. He says he pulled out a gun, and she wasn't alone. In their yard, the man says he struggled with the prostitute and a male accomplice she had with him. The gun owner says his weapon went off accidentally in the fight. When they retreated to a truck, he says, he fired to try to disable the vehicle. Officers arrived at the scene, located a truck, that had been fleeing the scene. They were able to detain the truck and the people inside it. Greenfield police say three people inside the truck were arrested. The man who fired the gun says he, too, must now meet with the district attorney. That happened on Friday. No kidding. It was really strange, says the neighbor. Unexpected honesty, leaving many stunned. Um, All right, so 
Here's the bottom line. Oh, and how did the detective get hurt? A detective heading to the scene was involved in a single vehicle crash and taken to the hospital. Okay, so let's review the bidding, and let's try to figure out how many things are wrong with this story. First of all, you got the guy in Greenfield that hires the hooker. Now, take it here. Let me just offer you some free legal advice from a recovering attorney here. As a general rule, hookers tend to be a relatively unreliable sort. I mean, it's just it's uh, no offense to hookers, but it's kind of the nature of the business. So the guy apparently brings the the prostitute into he takes her to his home, I guess. To which, I mean, what could go wrong with that particular plan? I mean, <laughs> three words, get a room. You know, all right, if you're going to do it, get a room. All right, but but no, he doesn't get a room. He takes the prostitute to his home. They presumably do whatever it is the two of them do. And somehow the guy, I mean, presumably is like showing off that he has a bunch of money in the house. Okay, what could go wrong with this? You bring the prostitute to your home, and you let the prostitute know that you've got a whole bunch of money in the house. Hmm, good plan or not. So, all right, you, you've got that. Then, you know, surprise follows surprise. The hooker, um, who, again, they tend to be sort of unreliable sorts. No offense if you're a prostitute out there, but that's just kind of the nature of the business. So the hooker brings a couple of her buddies, pimps, whatever, back and the plan is they're going to i guess presumably rob the guy to get the money all right so the guy he's got a gun next thing you know you have this struggle a gun battle shots fired etc well wagner's rule of life number four is nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 30 in the morning I, i think we could make it maybe make it wagner's rule four and a half that nothing good happens when you bring a hooker back to your place and if you do choose to bring the prostitute back to your place, I, I don't know, maybe keep the safe out of or, or the cash drawer or whatever you got. Keep that kind of out of, you know, out of sight because, gee, you know, you just never know what's going to happen. But and, and then I, I guess the other modification would be. When the reporters come around, and I understand my friends who work in radio news and all my friends who work in TV news are saying, what do you do? You're, you're telling the guy he shouldn't talk. Well, I don't know. They say the truth will set you free. But no, in this particular case, no, I, I think maybe you'd be talking to your lawyer, but I wouldn't necessarily feel this desire to go on television and say, well, yeah, I had this hooker over here the other night and she saw a bunch of money and then she came back and tried to rob me and I ended up getting into a gunfight. I, you know, it's... It's not necessarily the type of thing that, well, unless you want to make sure that you're going to be discussed at the 4th of July picnic, it's probably the type of thing that you should keep to yourself. It just gets stranger and stranger. We're getting more bizarre stories out of Greenfield, too. Greenfield is becoming a, a Milwaukee County version of the city of Sheboygan lately. It's just, just more and more strange stories there, but go figure. All right, about a week or two ago, we, we talked about this story, this woman She's flying Southwest Airlines, and she gets upset because her child, her, her infant, her infant child is named ABCDE, Absidy. And the gate agent at Southwest allegedly makes fun of the kid's name. And, and she gets all upset about this and, and goes public. And, and my take on it, and I think the majority opinion was, first of all, the gate agent's wrong. I mean, you're, you know, it's, 
it's a customer. I don't care how weird or strange or whatever, whether it's the customer's appearance or the customer's name. She's a customer. So the gate agent is wrong in making fun of the kid's name. All right, that was my take. But at the same time, what kind of mother names their kid A, B, C, D, E? It's pronounced absidy. And I understand that there's a couple hundred people across the country who have named their kids that. But with all due respect, it's a dumb name. It's just, it's the name that it's a vanity thing for the mother or the father that you've guaranteed that you're going to make your kid's life miserable because other people are going to make fun of the kids should they do it. People aren't going to understand how to pronounce it. It's just... It's just a dumb thing to do to a child. Um, that's and that was my take on it. Just a dumb thing to do to a child. Well, there's another lady who's got a, another name, and she's upset that people are mocking this name. I'll tell you about it. We'll talk about it in just a moment. One forty-eight, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ Grew, who's producing the show today and always. I have a real interesting text here. Actually, this is a great idea. And now it's a particularly appropriate, given that we're working for Good Karma Broadcasting, of which I am a huge fan. You know, our previous employer, Scripps, and they were very, very good. But Scripps was kind of a TV company, and they, you know, I don't get the sense that they necessarily were interested in investing like tons of money into radio and things like that. But Good Karma, big, big into radio and stuff. So here's Richards. He says, Jeff, you you need a 620 WTMJ T-shirt that have your favorite Wagner's Rules of Life on it. He said it would be a great way to raise money for your favorite charity and promote your show. I would buy one. That See, we, we do have some really, really good marketing people here. That would be the kind of thing that kind of suggests we we like take we can't take all the Wagner's Rules of Life, but we take some of the, the best ones, like nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2.30, you know, in the morning, life is tough, get a helmet. Some of those, some of the best ones, put them on there. All right. Sell them, give the money to charity. I think there's an idea. We'll put that one in the old suggestion box. All right, so here's the deal. This mother, um, she has decided that the child is not born yet. All right, so she has decided on the child's name. And she's going to have, uh, there's going to be like a baby shower. So, but she's already, she knows what, she knows it's going to be a boy. And she knows what the child is going to be named. This is the child's first name. This is the child's first name, Squire Sebastian Senator. That's going to be the child's first name. Now, I understand that you might say Squire Sebastian Senator is actually three names. But no, the the mother says this is going to be the first name. There's going to be a middle name after that, and then there's going to be the the last name. And so she has apparently told people about this. And her family and friends have not accepted that name very well you know so apparently you know they've they've been giving her you know on social media and facebook and stuff they've been giving her 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 static over this saying why would you possibly name your, your child this so now she's hacked off and this is the most recent posting according to um again it's a fox news story dear members of the squire sebastian senator baby shower I have a really important announcement to make. It brings me pain to have to tell you this, but I am canceling the event. You all have been talking poop, although she doesn't use the word poop. You all have been talking poop about my unborn baby, an unborn child. How can you judge an unborn child? The mother goes on to say she's not crazy, she's not mentally unstable, she's not drunk when she chose the unique three-name 
first name. Um, she says, and this is, again, it's only his first name, and he's not going to be allowed to have a nickname. He is to be called by his full and complete name, Squire Sebastian Senator. Um, the woman says, look, my my family is descended from a long line of both squires and senators. If you look back in our family tree, the survival of this clan is literally rooted in squiredom. We are all related to senators, too. The name conveys power. It conveys wealth. It conveys success. My baby's name will be a revolution. Um, she then goes on to call her family fake and claims that this name choice, by calling the child, again, first name, Squire Sebastian Senator, that's going to make the child extraordinary. All right. So she puts this out there, and it takes off on social media, and, and she gets a series of responses, including one person saying, Lady, Nobody's talking poop about your unborn baby. They're talking poop about your first, your poor naming choices. Another one says, this could be the first child ever to run away from home before he's born. <laughs> um, <clears throat> all right. And then another one says, look, I, I mean, I, I, I tell any friend of mine who gets pregnant that before you settle on a name, imagine growing up with this name yourself. All right. Let's open the phone lines, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This lady feels strongly, in this case, that this name is going to be extraordinary. It, it will it will be revolutionary. It will make her child extraordinary. And she resents the fact that family, friends, and now, because this has gone public, outsiders are mocking her name choice. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess the way I see it is this. Is this, I mean, it's exclusively the mother's choice, I guess, or the father's choice. I mean, who? I don't know if there's a father involved in this, you know, making the choice. But but is it fair to criticize this? I mean, she says, how dare you, you know, say bad things about my, my unborn child? And the response is, you know, lady, th- this, is, this is crazy to do something to a kid. Is that unfounded criticism? Should people just kind of step back and say, oh, go ahead, you know, name the child this. It'll all be great. We appreciate how extraordinary this means the kid's going to be. Or is it fair to criticize somebody up front saying, why don't you think about what you're going to be doing to the child if you if you go ahead with this? Think what it's going to be like growing up with a child who, whose name is Squire Sebastian Senator. And that's just the first name. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, candidly, I don't think the problem is with the people who's criti- who are criticizing the mother. I think the problem is with some of these selfish parents, or in this case a mother, who decides that they're going to essentially lose their mind and saddle their child with a name that's going to have baggage moving forward. 414-799-1620. What do you think? We discuss in just a minute. It's 154. 157, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Mary Jo in Waukesha. Hi, Mary Jo. Hi, Jeff. Can you hear me? I can hear you very well. All right. She wants to name the kid... Oh, let's see. Squire, Sebastian, Senator, whatever. And she's upset that her friends tell her she's nuts. Well, I I would agree with the friends. I remember, (laughs) sorry, I was telling your screener, at one time there was a woman who gave birth to twins. This is a true story. And um, she named them, the names were Orange (laughs) Jell-O and Lemon Jell-O. And they were pronounced Orangelo and Lemangelo. (laughs) Now, 
I feel sorry for these teachers actually in school to try and right. You know, I mean, they almost need to learn another language to try and and figure out some of these names, but. I mean, this woman really—I don't know where she's coming from. I think she's not. Well, yeah, I do. I mean, they, they, so, I mean, it's just. See, I just think this is selfish. I mean, I think these are vanity projects for the parents, and and they think that it's clever or whatever. But it's the kids that are going to be the ones that have to go through life. And she's like, "Well, I'm not. This is his first name. I'm not going to allow any nicknames." Carol on the West Side. Carol, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Good afternoon. <laughs> Hi, Carol. I said. First of all, the names don't really trip off the tongue real easily, even for an adult. And if she really thinks that his little friends at three, four, five, and through grade school are really going to sit there and call him Squire Sebastian Senator. <laughs> Yeah. She's really quite delusional about that stuff. Right. Well, I mean, I think this is kind of like it's almost an intervention. You've got the family and friends who are saying, what are you thinking? Don't don't saddle the, this child with this. It, it's kind of like A, B, C, D, E. Well, the mother, well, I think it's cute and I think it's clever. Well, okay, that that's wonderful. You think it's cute and clever, but think about what the child's going to have to deal with with this name going through life. Now, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. I guess it's just... It's I, I understand. I mean, I guess my my point would be if you've got like really clever names or something and you want to be like really unique, get a dog. But but don't saddle that on the child. You know, I mean, if, if you've got a, if you've got a puppy and you want to call the puppy, hey, Squire Sebastian Senator, don't pee on the rug. OK, I mean, at least you can do it that way. But don't saddle this with a child. When we come back, it is a Wisconsin success story that some people think is growing too fast stick around it's 159 it's 207 jeff wagner wtmj all right back in another life i i, I ran for statewide office in 1994 and wisconsin melissa is a big state it, it just it, it just is and in general if you're running for statewide office i mean sometimes some people have access to planes and can fly all over i i, I wasn't in that situation so you're driving a lot and if you're based out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, I mean, it, it's it's a big state. It's a long way to get to La Crosse and Eau Claire. I mean, you're you know, Madison's an hour and a half. So you're you you spend a lot of time in, in a car. You put a lot of miles on a vehicle. And if you're driving around a lot, there's there there's a couple of things that are important. First of all, when you have to go to the bathroom, you, you want you want a place that's going to be a clean place to go to the bathroom, yes. right? Mm-hmm. You know, right? You mean you you just don't want any surprises. <laughs> that's that, right. That's you know that's it. And and secondly, you want a you know you 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 want to clean and you want you want it to have a, a choice of things. Like if I go in to use the bathroom at the place, I you know you you want to get something there. You want to kind of like patronize it. So you know the the two places when the, this is and this is a long time. This is nineteen ninety four. You know the two places we always looked for to stop when we were on the road and those things. I'm going to say quick trip. And and, ooh, the other one I don't know. McDonald's. Oh, of course. Okay. I mean, I mean, because mm-hmm. I mean, you know, McDonald's. You can't get gas there, but McDonald's. As a matter of fact, I was, I was at a, a party last night with a friend of mine who owns forty nine McDonald's. I keep telling him he's going to be a big deal once he owns fifty. <laughs> forty nine. Yeah. I said, yeah, yeah. yeah just, just, yeah. He's, he's a very big deal as it is, but it's, but no, I mean, McDonald's. I, I mean, you know, you'd stop off. The thing about McDonald's, the, the restrooms always clean, and you know, you can always, you know, get a cup of coffee or whatever. Mm-hmm. That, that was number one, and number two, and, and this is even back in nineteen ninety four. You're exactly right. We always looked for quick trips. Quick trip, of course, it's, uh, it, it goes back to the 60s, but it, it really it, it started, I think, at Eau Claire. Now, the company's based out of La Crosse, but it started Eau Claire and La Crosse, 
And it's it, they, they've been, you know, since the mid-60s, just on an incredible growth spurt as well. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't think I've ever been, because I look for quick trips as well when I'm on the road in Wisconsin. And, you know, I don't think I've ever been to one that's had a bad bathroom. No. I, I, <laughs> I mean, and they're all really nice inside, right. too. They're clean and they, they function very well. Well, okay. All right. Yeah. So, so we're on board with this. Okay. Yeah. Well, this leads me to what I want to talk to, to you about. It's... And it, it goes back. They they hid. They started off small, and then were growing. And I, I think they hit around a hundred, like right around nineteen ninety, a hundred quick trips. And of course, if, if you've never been to a quick trip, I mean, it, it's it's a convenience store and a gas station. And and one of the things that they they've really tried to make their name on is number one, being clean. Number two, being a step above your your typical convenience store, fresh fruit. Um, you know, you, you, you go in, sometimes you go into some of these convenience stores and you've got the hot dogs that are spinning around on the wheel and you wonder how long that they have been there or, you know, th- th- those type of things. But I mean, quick trip, it was always like sort of fresh produce and an emphasis on clean and, and things like that. And, and I think they hit like number hundred around 1990. And, and now I, there's a story in the Appleton Post Crescent that caught my attention about this. The company now has over um let's see they have 376 convenience stores in wisconsin alone 376 that's up from 273 just five years ago so that's that's about a hundred new stores just in wisconsin alone in the last five years i mean quick trip is is succeeding where other businesses are starting to to fail and it's interesting i bring this up because the point of the appleton post crescent story is that just like when when Walmart first came in years and years ago, how Walmart hurt Main, Main Street businesses. You know, the little, you know, Jeff's Hardware Store found it impossible to compete with the Walmart on the, on the edge of town on price or, or whatever. So Jeff's Hardware Store went under. Just like when, when McDonald's, for example, first came in in the 50s and 60s, it, it put a lot of mom and pop diners and stuff like that out of business. One of the things they're starting to see with Quick Trip now is because Quick Trip is so popular, you're having a lot of, of convenience stores slash gas stations, you know, the mini mart type of things, a lot of them are closing when the quick trip moves in because, well, you know, quick trip is, is finding this, this formula of, of building a, a better mousetrap. And the stores that are able to compete with them when the quick trip moves in are finding that the, the way you do it is you have to significantly up up your game. And if all you're going to be offering is, well, I've got the gas but I, I've also got I'm, I'm selling lottery tickets and I've got some milk and we don't know how fresh that milk is. And, you know, we've got vapor things and we're selling cigarettes that that's not in and of itself going to be enough. I mean, Quick Trip really is turning out to be one of the, the real success stories. And again, this is a lacrosse company, 600 locations in Wisconsin, Minnesota and Iowa. Like I say, 376 convenience stores slash gas stations in the state of Wisconsin. And I will tell you, I, it's one of those things where all things being equal, I mean, all things being equal, I will, I will shop at a quick trip store. I mean, if it's one of those deals where – now, I, I, again, I mean, a lot of times with gasoline, it's when, when do you need gas? It's that type of stuff. But as a general rule, all things being equal, if I know where I'm going to be and I know that there is a quick trip in the vicinity, I, I'm stopping in. I'm stopping in the quick trip 
because I, I just, that is the image that I have. And that doesn't necessarily mean that every time I'm going to run in and buy donuts or go to the bathroom or, or whatever. I'm just saying that for some reason, I think they've figured out how to build the better mousetrap when it comes to convenience stores. And I, I love the fact that, of course, it's, you know, it's a statewide owned you know, company, and I guess I like to support Wisconsin companies. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I want to talk about Quick Trip for a segment. It is Quick Trip, all things being equal, it is my go-to place for a variety of reasons. What's the success behind the business model? Are you a Quick Trip fan or, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's Jeff, it's gas, you're going inside to use the bathroom or whatever. Nothing special. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, you know, you can disagree with me. I just look at these numbers, and it seems to me that Quick Trip is doing something right. When you look at this kind of growth, I mean, going from 270-plus stores to 370-plus stores in Wisconsin alone in the space of five years tells me that they've they've latched onto a positive business model. Is is there something they're doing that other people aren't? Do you love it? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 215, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 218, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Appleton Post-Crescent has a really interesting story about how Quick Trip is really resetting the bar and how it, it's so successful that it's as quick trip stores come into neighborhoods they're they're really you know driving other stores out of the marketplace to the point that you know some people are saying okay is this like the new Walmart and, and to which my answer is no quick trip has really found something and it, it's just a matter of consumer choice. And if you're a convenience store operator and there's a quick trip in the area, you've got to up your game. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Right, let me share a couple of texts before we go to the uh, calls. Uh, the no-fee ATM is what originally got me into the store. Now it's the only gas station that I go to. Uh, here's another one. Jeff, I'm obsessed with quick quick trip. I will go out of my way to gas up there. The um, Let's see. The coffee is great. The ready-to-eat food and pizzas are a step above. Their fresh foods and meat are good lucky, uh, look good looking and you can't beat uh, 99 cent eggs and 249 um butter well you know that's that's an interesting thing i mean i think what they realized early on is the fresh produce is something that again makes them stand out as well the idea that all right it's kind of like a grocery store in addition to being the gas station then you add in the fact that it's it's clean and you're set um sandy and sheboygan text jeff i travel a lot for my job i drive maybe 30 to forty thousand miles a year given a choice i will even go out of my way to stop at a quick trip they're always clean and you know what you're going to be able to purchase and they have healthy choices along with what you expect at a gas station 414 i you know you joke about like the clean restrooms we were gosh i it was about a year ago i'm we were coming back from Green Bay, I think. I, I forget what. I had to go to the bathroom desperately, just just desperately, to the point that, you know, it's like, okay, why do you wait this long? So you pull off the freeway, you're driving around, looking for a place that was open, find this, like, gas station. You, you know, you go into the little convenience store, you go into the bathroom, and you take one look at it, and then you kind of wonder, huh, do I really have to go that bad? It's like, oh, 414, never a quick trip. 414-799-1620. Brenda in Menominee Falls. Brenda, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Brenda. Love your show. Thank um, you. I'm actually a quick trip right now. Okay. I'm staying in my car. <laughs> but um, 
Yes, everything those texts said is true. Um, it's a great place to get gas. They're friendly, and they're not standing behind a piece of glass. Uh, right. Barricaded, you know, um, and they have daily food specials, and everything's clean and fresh. My daughter actually is a food service leader up in Sheboygan, and okay. she gets a big bonus check every December, and it's a great place to work, too, not well, just shop. Well, yeah, that's what I've heard, that they've always, you know, that they paid their employees a little bit more maybe than at comparable places and stuff, and, and they've really kind of built it up like a like a family sort of environment. Yeah, everybody right. that I know works at Quick Trip loves working at Quick Trip. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, no. Thanks for calling, preach. And I, I think Brenda's on something. I do think that they got, they got the fresh, they got the healthy thing. I mean, because I, I was kidding around, but only partially so. I mean, how many times have you gone into you know the, the convenience store and you've seen the like the hot dogs that are kind of rotating around and you think, God, I was here last week and I think that same hot dog was on that thing rotating around. I it, you you just don't get that feeling at, at a quick trip. 414-799-1620. Sandy in Montello. Hi Sandy. Hi, how are you? Very well, thank you. Okay, are you a quick trip fan? Oh, I am a fan. I am on the road on a daily basis. I'm in sales in northern Wisconsin and I know where every quick trip <laughs> store is located. And I can tell you why they have the market share is, is the reason uh, being is how they train their, or I should say educate their employees. They're all, they're all educated um, in, the, in the same way. You go in, it doesn't matter what store you go into, and they all say the same mm-hmm. opening and closing uh, <laughs> words to you. Right. And they're all very friendly. Now you go into another convenience store, and they grunt at you. And right. uh, you have to wait for the employee to get done smoking their cigarette outside before they can come in and wait on you and things of that nature. So, you know, they're they're smart. The owners of Quick Trip know what they're doing. They got it together, and I hope they gain more market share um, around the country because uh, they they definitely know what they're doing. No, I mean I agree with you. I mean, thanks for the call, Sandy. I mean, they, they figured out a way to build kind of that better mousetrap because recognizing. And again, I, I I think for me it starts with cleanly. I mean. It starts obviously with competitive prices, you know. But but I, I mean, the quick trips that I go to aren't necessarily they're, they're competitive, but it's not necessarily the cheapest gas that's out there. But that that doesn't necessarily matter to me because if you've got all those other things that are there, uh, again, whether it's the fresh food or it's the clean bathrooms and that type of stuff, that attracts you. Our friend Carla, she calls Jeff. I work in new construction, and I and given. All we have on the job site are portable toilets, and I'm working in remote locations most of the time. I always look for quick trips in my area for my quick lunch-slash-bathroom breaks. By, by the way, my dad drives out of his way for his favorite bread, milk, and eggs. Yeah, I mean, that's the appeal that you have. Dennis in Milwaukee. Dennis, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Dennis. Yeah, I go to quick trip all the time. I'm, I'm on the road. I make deliveries. As a matter of fact, I'm just coming back from Madison having delivered a bunch of gift baskets from the fruit ranch out at Camp Randall. But uh-huh. I was to like four different quick trips already today. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, you're right about the bathrooms, but the, the price point on a number of the things, especially the loss leaders, are great. Uh, you know, I love it when I get something for a buck, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, how often can you do that today still? Yeah, and, right. And it, the other thing that was kind of unique going way back and still is today is their milk in a bag, you know, which is cheaper. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I did right. I mean, thank and you know, it, it is one of those interesting things. Now, I, I have to say, as a general rule, I don't, I don't shop at a, at a quick trip to buy those types of things. That's just not the way I use it. But I certainly understand 
why for people that that would be appealing. Hey, you got to stop for gas, and here, I'm going to get gas, and I'm going to be able to run in. I'm going to be able to get a couple things. I'm going to get some fresh fresh vegetables or some fresh fruit or, or whatever. I mean, to me, when I run into the quick trip, normally it's, oh, that's really a good donut. If my doctor was listening, I apologize. That's a really good donut or, you know, here are the, the different coffee choices. But to me, clean goes a long way. Clean and pleasant and well-lit, it, it goes just a long way. I'm getting swamped with text. Quick Trip has an excellent business plan. They may be closing other convenience stores, but that's probably just rearranging jobs. Jeff, there's four in Oconomowoc, north side, west side, two on the south side. Those two are a snowball's toss apart. I love my Quick Trips. Tasty, fresh food at affordable prices. Another text. It's an easy choice. Clean stores, secure card readers, clean restrooms, friendly employees, great gas. I always use Quick Trip. Um, Yes, here's another one. Jeff, besides all the things that have been mentioned so far, where else can you go to get free air for your tires? I am so sick of gas stations that want my credit card just to fill up my bike or truck tires. Love the car wash options, too. Rarely have to wait in line. And then Mike says in Fond du Lac, Quick Trip got it right. Their operating plan and their marketing plan are right on the mark. Um, yes, it's just, I mean, the other day I was in a quick trip and a customer asked about their large Angus burger, if they had any, they had just run out, but one of their employees said, how many would you like? We'll make them for you right now. That's customer service, I guess. And I I bring this up, not because we're sponsored by quick trip or anything like that, but because when you see people that have figured out ways to build that better mousetrap, it's, it's a message. And I understand some people might say, oh, they're going to get too dominant and they're, they're running some of these other convenience stores out of business. Again, what they're saying is you've got to up your game. And, and they found, they found a niche. They figured out what people want. And again, what people might be willing to pay. My general recollection, the quick trips that I will go to, I, I don't think it's the cheapest gas. I mean, uh, you know, it's comparable, like I say, but maybe you could find gas for a couple cents less. But, you know, clean bathrooms and all this other stuff, I, I, I don't, I don't need the cheapest gas for that so it's a wisconsin company it's growing and it is very cool 227 jeff wagner wtmj 236 jeff wagner wtmj all right the, the lead into this should be thank god the republicans still control the state legislature during the campaign lost in all the stuff, reasons people found for not wanting to vote for Scott Walker. Gee, you know, he didn't allow the Indian ca- casino in, um, he didn't allow the Indian casino at Dairyland Greyhound Park. Or, gee, there's a pothole in front of my house. Uh, lost in all that were some of the major things. Namely, that Tony Evers and a number of the other people who were running as Democrats were running on a platform of, we have too many people locked up. A- and let's, let's reduce the prison population in this state by half. And as we talked about a couple times, there is no way in the world that you can reduce the prison population in the state of Wisconsin in half in any sort of meaningful time without putting people who desperately belong in prison back out on the street and not putting people who belong in prison into prison. It is foolhardy. foolhardy, It is dangerous. I understand it is fashionable. Uh, among the left in this state, that this is what we want to do. But public safety is something that should never, ever, ever be compromised. So 
Tony Evers, who's committed with to trying to release people from prison. And again, before I get into the details of this, that this this notion that the jails, the prisons are filled with all these people who don't belong there and all these low level marijuana dealers. That's ridiculous. It's just not reality. It's I mean, the reality is in Wisconsin, in order to get sent to prison, you either have to do something really, really seriously bad or you have to do something. You have to continue. You have to be a habitual criminal. You have to commit crime after crime after crime. And in many cases, it's people who are habitual criminals who are also committing crimes of violence who are slapped on the wrist time and time again. This notion that we have oh all these people who don't belong in jail in jail, or this notion that gee you know we we have to be concerned about mass incarceration because we're sending you know too many of this type of person or that type of person to prison. No, the people that go to prison in Wisconsin are by and large people who desperately deserve to be in prison and should be in most cases in prison for a heck of a lot longer than they go. So Evers announces today, the governor-elect, that he has a panel that is going to advise him on public safety and criminal justice. So, you know, who's who? who's on this panel? All right. It is a who's who as a general rule of the let's turn them loose crowd. All right, who's on the panel? Here's the list. Dean Strang. Dean Strang is, you know, Dean Strang is a very, very competent, very, very good, noted criminal defense attorney. He was one of the guys that represented Stephen Avery. I've known Dean for a long time. I, I have a lot of respect for his talents. He's a criminal defense attorney. All right? His job is, as a general rule, to get criminals off or at least Make sure that, um, that whatever he represents his clients, and he does a great job. I don't criticize this. He's a criminal defense attorney. Who else is on this panel? Former state support uh, Supreme Court Justice Lewis Butler, who was defeated um, a number of years ago when he ran for election to the court. Former state Supreme Court Justice Janine Geske. Janine was appointed by Tommy Thompson. She would be... I guess she would be the – nobody would argue that Janine is conservative, but Janine would be one of the more moderate people on the list. Dane County Sheriff Dave Mahoney, Dane County. Ker, uh, Kelly Thompson, who heads the state's public defender's office. So we have somebody else looking out for the criminal defendants. Matt Frank, who was, um, again, liberal, former assistant state attorney general under Jim Doyle. Milwaukee County Chief Deputy Sheriff Danita Ball, don't know her. Rick Ramish who was the sheriff in Dane County. He ran as a Republican, but nobody would argue that Rick Ramish is a conservative. Walter Dickey, University of Wisconsin Law School professor, former State Department of Corrections secretary. When it comes to criminal justice matters, Walter Dickey is about as far to the left as you can get. Angela Lang, director of the Milwaukee-based Black Leaders Organizing for Communities. Don't know what that is. Jim Palmer, who is heads the state police union, who is about as far to the left as you can imagine as well. I mean, he's a, he's a union leader as well. This is their panel. This is their panel. Evers said during the campaign, he wants to, this, I'm looking at the Wisconsin State Journal story. During the campaign, he wants to cut the state's prison population in half. Huh. In half. The announcement today says the panel aims to bring together people from all sides of the criminal justice system to work on possible criminal justice changes. Well, no, it's really not all sides of the criminal justice system. It's pretty much everybody from the left who might work or have worked in different capacities. But trust me, there's no 
conservative law and order types on on this, or at least very, very few of this panel. I mean, this is going to be a panel that's designed to float ideas, which are essentially going to be, let's figure out ways to, to turn people loose or not have people be held accountable for their various actions. So this is the announcement. If you were wondering, gee, is Tony Evers going to try to govern from a moderate fashion or something, at least on criminal justice issues? If you make look at the makeup of this panel, that's not where this is at all, which is why I go back to, well, thank God that there is a Republican legislature, because when it comes to criminal justice matters, uh, the, the governor... The governor doesn't have control over these things. You know, you can't just simply say, all right, well, we're going to change this law or that law. It also, I think, candidly makes it very unlikely that you're going to see any major criminal justice reform which would increase accountability and increase responsibility. But as I often say, elections have consequences. This whole issue of criminal justice, I think, kind of got shuffled or down, down the priority list when the, the election was going. I mean, nobody really kind of focused on this. I know Walker ran a couple campaign ads. But I will tell you, if, if this is Tony Evers' approach, we've got to figure out how we can get people out of prison or not send them to prison. And again, if you can convince people not to commit crimes, I'm all in favor of it. But once they commit crimes, if this commission is designed with trying to figure out ways to reduce the accountability of people, it is going to be a complete disaster. And again, if you look at the makeup, um, it might be people from diverse areas of the criminal justice system. But by and large, with perhaps one or two exceptions, it's people who come at it from the same political approach. This is anything but what I would describe as a genuinely bipartisan, in the real sense of the word, a bipartisan panel at all. And I, I think Robin Voss in the State Assembly and um, Scott Fitzgerald in the State Senate, I, I think my recommendation would be anything that comes out of this committee, I would be looking long and hard at it because the truth of the matter is the last thing we need to do in Wisconsin is to reduce accountability, particularly in the crime-plagued urban areas around this state. Just saying. 244, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I understand elections have consequences, but when it comes to public safety... You look at the makeup of this Tony Evers commission on ways to reform the Wisconsin criminal justice system, and the, the advice is, oh, wow, wow. <laughs> the advice is, boy, what, what are we going to do when these dangerous people continue to commit crime after crime after crime? All right. One of the things that the Trump administration has done, which is now starting to generate a little bit of controversy, is they are rolling back the Michelle Obama ideas on on school lunch rules you know one of the big things that happened during the obama administration is michelle obama she was the leader in school nutrition the idea is that the kids need to eat healthy so what we need to do is we need to have all these different guidelines out there and we need to try to get this unhealthy food out and we need everything needs to be whole grain and we need to do this and that and and the other thing and the problem was with all the different restrictions that were going on the the the, the chink in the armor was the fact that that the stuff that they were serving was unappetizing. I mean, you can say, all right, here, here's the rule that every every hot lunch that's served has to have vegetables and has to have a piece of fruit. You, you got to have it. That, that that's the requirement. But if 
as you talk to people who actually worked in the cafeterias and things like that, they, they would put the fruit on people's plates. They would put the, the vegetable on people on kids' trays. And what would the kids do? They would throw it out. And that, that's just the reality because you, you can give it to them, but you can't force them to eat it. On top of that, a lot of the food requirements that were out there, they, they just they weren't appetizing to kids. And so as a result, the, the kids started throwing the stuff out. And in addition, a lot of kids just stopped buying the food in the first place. They just weren't getting the lunches. I'm looking at one of these numbers. Um, nearly, what are the estimates, that um, nearly 2 million fewer kids are eating school lunch each day since the Obama-inspired rules took effect. I mean, so the bottom line is they're serving stuff, yes, it might be nutritious, but if, if people are just throwing it away or nobody's eating it, you're, you're not gaining anything at all. So one of the things in the Department of Agriculture is going to be actually coming out with something by the end of the month. Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue, who we had on the program a couple weeks ago, um, he said on Friday that they're going to be publishing these changes. But one of the things that they're going to be doing is they are going to be, heaven forbid, they're going to be returning more control to the local schools to give them the opportunity to, again, provide meals that would be consistent with what the kids want. So, for example, they're going to be rolling back restrictions on everything from total calories to fat to sugar to sodium and whole grain content in an effort to serve children food that they might actually eat. And, you know, it, this is very, very controversial. For example, you know, I'm looking at the, the people that represent the cafeteria workers who have been arguing that these rules, while well-intended, just aren't working out. They're arguing, you know, they say that school nutrition professionals have made progress in improving student diets. But the problem is, you know, what's going on here is just it's not working in the real world. Meanwhile, the story I'm looking at, nutrition advocates, they are they are attacking these rules. I mean, this is just terrible. You know, when it comes to children's health, there should be no flexibility. Um, we're going to be putting kids' health in jeopardy by allowing them to have food that they really like. We've only got a couple minutes, but 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To me, this, this whole school lunch program with the mandates is one of the classic examples of something that might sound good on on paper, but in the real world is a complete and total disaster. And I think what the Trump administration and what the Secretary of Agriculture is doing is completely and totally uh, appropriate. I mean, look, bottom line is you want kids to eat healthy. We all want to eat healthy. Okay, I got it. But at the same time, if the stuff that they are serving kids is – not tasty, well, they're not going to eat it. And merely saying, well, we think you should have a vegetable or we think you should have a piece of fruit. Here, we're going to put it on your plate. But, okay, if the kids don't want to eat carrots, well, all right, they're not going to eat carrots. If the kids don't like peaches and you can put the fruit, the peach on their plate, they're not going to eat it. This, this to me, you, you want people to eat healthy. And I, I think you want to give every encouragement that you can to the local school districts to develop, uh, again, healthy options all right I'm, I'm in favor of that but but what they're doing and the way they're doing it simply isn't working 414-799-1620 one of the other things chocolate milk 
chocolate milk is going to be back on the um, back on the menu. Chocolate milk, as a general rule, had been banned. Students uh, could only get fat-free flavored milk um, under previous rules. Now you are going to be able to get um, low-fat chocolate milk as well. 414-799-1620. Linda in Fond du Lac. Linda, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, I appreciate you bringing up the milk. Um, I'm a dairy farmer and have followed this very closely. We're happy that Purdue is making some of these changes. We know that the chocolate milk addition is just a first step. That puts it from skim milk up to low-fat milk. But we also have learned that when kids are young, their brain development is helped by the standard fat milk. And so we've been concerned that not only have kids been drinking less milk, but that perhaps the young kids have brain development that's not as positive because of the right. rules that Obama had started. Well, well, right. And they were just, I mean, see, and, and the problem was, I, I understand, I, I understand we want, everybody wants to eat healthier, uh, but but the way they went about it with these really, really strict mandates and no real relation to the real world, you know, I mean, I, I mean, really, so low-fat chocolate milk you can't have. I mean, given all the different options that kids drink, I, I want them having chocolate milk. And, and we've learned that chocolate milk is really great as a milk reco- as a recovery drink for athletes. Yeah. A mixture of you know chocolate and, and milk is, is excellent for sports. Well, I mean, I, I watch the ads with Serena Williams, and she's the one that talks about how chocolate milk is her, her go to thing as well. Yeah, no, right, th- yeah. yeah, no, no. Thanks for calling. Again, it's I, I appreciate I, I appreciate what these rules were designed to do. But the truth is, one size doesn't fit all. And and, and again, what, what what they lost when they were passing these rules too is that there are there are regional differences. I mean, in some, for example, in some parts of, of the South, you know, they'd serve grits. All right, that's I mean, we, we only eat grits up here as a general rule, but that's part of the staple. That's part of a staple thing. Kids are used to eating grits. Well, they'd have these rules as to what you could how you could make the grits out of, and and the way that they were doing it within the rules, it was untasty. So the bottom line of all this is, I want to put more control back in the hands of the local school districts to allow them working with the parents and the local administrators to provide healthy meals, but not to obsess over these, you know, mandates that are out there that don't make any sense. And you know what the effect of this is going to be? It's going to be more kids eating meals, number one. And number two, it's going to be more kids eating stuff that they want to eat as well and not going hungry. That's a win-win. It's 2.54. When we come back, we'll find out what John and Melissa have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.